0: We're going to be in Ephesians 5 and about 30 other places. But what I did, I put the verses in the PowerPoint so you won't have to look all over. I know sometimes that can distract you from listening to be looking at a bunch of different verses. So we have uh, quite a few in the PowerPoint this morning. And the focus, what we're looking at is how can you please God? We looked at this a little bit last week and we're looking at it a little bit more this week, and last week we looked at some ways that you definitely cannot please God. We looked at seven things that uh, Proverbs uh, says that God hates. Do you, do you remember what they were? What, what, what were? What was that? A proud look, lying tongue. You remember the third? hands that shed innocent blood, murderers, and and then. Feet that be swift in running to mischief, like trying to get in trouble like little boys do, right? Um, little girls sometimes too. And that God hates these things. What was the one he hated the most? Well, pride was the first one on the list, but the way it's written in the Hebrew, God hates these six things, but the seventh one is really an abomination. It was the one who sows discord among brethren the one who stirs things up, the one who spreads gossip. God really hates that. So you can't please God with those things. And we looked in Ephesians 5 and and there was fornication and other things mentioned. You can't please God if you're involved in those sorts of things. But I want you to look at two specific things that Ephesians 5 says that we can know how to please God. Okay, look in verse number 10. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord? You can figure it out. Then look at verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And so you have the, the big idea we looked at last week. You have the capacity to know and follow the path that brings God's approval and reward. You don't have to be old. You don't have to be a man. Some men think that only men can understand God's will and the little women need to learn from the big men. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says any person who has believed and trusted Jesus Christ can learn to follow the path that God has. I know within the church, God restricts a couple of positions to men. And within the home, he wants the man to be the the leader. He holds the men most responsible in the home. And and so, but but we understand every believer so that uh, we have some lovely, faithful widows here today. And what a shame they can't know God's will because their husband died. They still can. They grieve the loss, but they can still know and follow the Lord. Helps when you could read, doesn't it? Uh, read God's Word. So you have the capacity to know and follow the path that leads to God's approval and God's reward. And so uh, last week we looked at in your heart and in your soul, you can please God by doing a couple of things. The first, Receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, that pleases God. There's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. Uh, It pleases God when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And it pleases your parents and grandparents too when you do that. Secondly, you can develop a closer relationship with Jesus Christ through prayer and learning God's Word through prayer and learning God's Word. And remember, we talked about four things, well, three and then a fourth one uh, that can help you. You read it, and you reflect on it, thinking about it, and then you respond to it. But sometimes you also have to do a little research. So that's like 2.5 there. You have to do a little research on it sometimes. Uh, but, but you can do these things. And we spent time last week... Dealing with that. So let's look at a couple extra, a a couple of different things, additional things that can please God. Okay? Number three, still in this, in your heart and soul, walking in the Spirit by faith, diligently following Christ. See, uh, we have to, walking in the Spirit, what does that mean? But does that mean you like glow in the dark and people see the presence of the Holy Spirit, his aura around you when you're walking? Uh, There's some examples the scripture gives us. The first is Enoch. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5 and 6, it says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. He was walking along on earth, or he was sitting down, or he was sleeping. We don't know. And God just took him to heaven, and he was not found. Unlike other people, like when my mom went to heaven, her body stayed behind. Uh, When my brother went to heaven, his body stayed behind. But when Enoch went to heaven, his body went with him. God just caught him up to heaven. And why did God do that? Because he had this testimony that he pleased God. So, no, I can tell you're not pleasing God because you're still here. No, okay, that's a one-time thing that God only did for Enoch. Because God was pleased with Jesus all the time, right? At his baptism, God spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But he didn't just immediately take him up to heaven then. He only did that with Enoch. And then we also read the next verse in Hebrews. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So, what does this mean? Uh, you know, I, I've known pastors who've led churches to, we just got to step out on faith. You know what, what we, we have done here in our plot of this ground? Um, Pete and Annette Rice stopped by here the other day. Um, they just showed up in the office, and I was on the phone, and Evelyn was in the office, and and uh, she opened the door and said they were here, and, and Kathy and I had the opportunity to have lunch with them, uh, and that was a blessing. They're missionaries, well, he's an evangelist, but we support them as a mission from our church. And Pete said... Do you got any other plans for out there? Because we own the property all the way to the wall that way and the wall that way and then to the middle of the ditch over there, but we can't do anything with the half of the ditch. The city won't let us do that. But but we own that land out there. And he said, what other plans do you have? And I said, well, we're, we're going to build a bowling alley here. No. <laughs> Uh, we have plans actually for a, for a multipurpose building that could be a gym and uh, and and that's on the plans it's approved by the city and we would still have to hire an architect and go through the process of the building but but for zoning purposes and that it's already approved to do that building um there's just just one little thing you know we need about 1.1 million dollars to do it so, just, except for that little thing, we could do it. And I have actually seen pastors challenge, we gotta step out by faith, people. We gotta just believe that God's gonna provide, and so we're gonna step out by faith. And, and they have built buildings, and then they couldn't pay for it, and then the church lost it, and then the pastor leaves because those people just didn't have faith. And he went somewhere else to share his gift. There's a difference between stepping forward by faith and being an idiot. There's a difference. Now, when God leads you to cross a chasm, you can't cross a chasm in two jumps. It's all or nothing. You know, but most of the time in the Bible, God doesn't say, hey, take a leap of faith. I would try it, but I'd hurt myself. Some of you were really worried there for a moment, weren't you? You thought I was really going to do it. Especially the ones who've been around for a while. They remember when I did stuff like that. So, in fact, I jumped off of here holding a kid one one a night. So, a uh, long time ago. That kid's now bigger than me. But when God leads you to take a leap, you have to take that leap. But you need to make sure God's leading. Most of the time in the scripture, it doesn't say, take a flying leap in the dark. It says, walk by faith. And the illustration in the Scripture of God's Word, His Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You remember reading that in Proverbs, or Psalm 119? Well, you know what that meant? That See, they didn't have spotlights and flashlights. I have really good night vision, and I walk through this building when it's dark, and I don't think anything of it. And uh, We had uh, a locksmith here the other day because a couple of our locks were broken, and I just walked in the back door, and I walked in over here, and I'm about to go in this door, and I, I turned around, and I said, Oh, I'm sorry, did I need to turn on a light? And he had dug in his pack and pulled out a flashlight so he could follow me because he couldn't see. And and uh, so, uh, but I got distracted. I shouldn't have shared that story. But listen, what we need to do is walk by faith and and take those steps. And that lamp that the guys, that uh, Psalm 119 is talking about, it was a little fire-burning lamp. We didn't have searchlights. I mean, Rikosi's son, Phil, had a million-power candle flashlight out here one night. So I pulled out my two-million-candle-power one, and we were zapping each other with it. And we could spot them off the clouds. And this would light up where you could put your foot. So you could see where to take the next step and a little bit beyond that. And that's all you could see. And most of the time... That's how God calls us to live, walking by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7-9. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the, from the body and to be present with the Lord. Don't feel sorry for people who have died. Rejoice for those who die in Christ because they go to be with the Lord. You can feel sorry for them when they're in the process of dying. But once they're gone, they're fine. And we're we're well pleased to be with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether pre- present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. All right. How many of you, at some point in your life, some of you haven't been a kid for a long time. At some point in your life, you had parents and you were under their authority in their house, and when they caught you doing something bad, you were hoping they hadn't noticed. How many of you have experienced that, right? And, And then it happened. And so what Paul's saying is we can live in a way that we'll be pleased to see him, and he'll be pleased to see us. That we can please God by walking in the Spirit, following Christ. Romans 8, 8 and 9. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And I know some of you are thinking, well, how can I not be in the Spirit? I mean, not be in the flesh. He says, you're not in the flesh. In the New Testament, when it talks about the flesh, it uses it in different ways. Sometimes it's just talking about this body, the flesh. and But in this particular instance, it's talking not about this body, but about the way you could live apart from Christ. Living in the flesh. What do people who are living in the flesh do? They do lots of things that aren't very good, right? They lie, they cheat, they steal, they, they do things people who are living in the flesh. It has nothing to do with their body. It has to do with the carnal nature inside them. And so they're living in the flesh. And now Paul says in Romans 8 that you're no longer just in the flesh. You now have the Holy Spirit of God who can guide you. And you have the Spirit of Christ in you so you don't have to give in to those fleshly urges. Um... Friday night, Tim Pinnock shows up for the men's thing. And we got the the meat. That's good stuff. And he brought these itty-bitty little cinnamon rolls. You know, I used to love eating cinnamon rolls. I've been diabetic for 27 years. And so Tim tried to tempt me because it was a little cinnamon roll it it wasn't you ever go to Cinnabon uh, you you need a forklift to to take that thing and they're they're just these little itty bitty ones and there's some temptations that are big and huge and deadly and there's some that are little but you can say no and you can follow the Lord Uh, the next verse we'll look at in uh Galatians uh, 5.16 I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now in the Greek that's extremely emphatic. That if you are walking in the Spirit you cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's impossible. So see the Bible talks about the fullness of the Spirit. You you know have the Holy Spirit um, be filled with the Spirit. But when you're walking in the fullness of the Spirit, when you're really following the Holy Spirit at this moment, then you are not going to sin at this moment. But as the moments go by, you might not be following the Spirit as closely and you could sin. So we can walk in the Spirit by faith, diligently following Christ. That's part of what we do in trying to please god we can live in a way that would bring a smile on his face that god sees us all the time it's not like your parents who are there coming and gone or your coworkers or your kids watching you god always sees you and he sees the 360 and inside and outside other people only see part of you Not a person in this room who can see what's going on at the back of my head right now. Not only that, you can't see what's going on in my head, which it might scare you sometimes. But but God sees everything. And if we walk in the Spirit by faith, we can please God. And that's good for us, by the way. God doesn't just say, I want you to please me. You know, this is not like... uh, in the old days, Savannah bullying Hunter and saying, Hunter, you have to do what I want. You have to because I'm the older sister and you have to do it. It's, it's not that. This is not a husband being Mr. Obnoxious saying, I'm the head. You're the doormat. No, that's not the way the Bible does it. But this is God saying, when you do what pleases him, guess what? It's good for you. See, when, when my kids, when I had kids living in the house, younger kids that were under my authority, Megan lives there with us right now, but she's not under my authority and she reminds me of that frequently. But when, <laughs> when, <laughs> she doesn't really do that, okay. She's wonderful. We enjoy having her around. Uh, but, but when my kids were little, there were times when I told them to be quiet. Not because that was good for them, but because that was good for me. It was for my benefit. But when God wants you to please him, it's always for your benefit. That when you do what pleases him, you are blessed. All right. Now, In your home and family, there's a couple things. These are well-known, all right, ready. We know all about these, but let's look at them. Another day, we'll look at some other things that we can add to. But in your home and family, God is pleased when husbands do what? Love their wives, and wives respect their husbands. Look at, well, yeah, you're here in Ephesians 5 if you didn't close your Bible. Look at verse 21, Ephesians 5 and verse 21 submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So you know, we we kind of expect. Well, yeah, husbands have to love their wives. Yeah, wives have to, wives have to respect their husbands, right? Yeah, we we know that. We hear that a lot. B- but do you do it? One one Sunday years ago, I had Kathy up here on the platform. In the middle of my message, I was preaching on uh, wives submitting, and. And so I, I gave her some questions that she knew I was going to ask her. So she knew what the questions would be when she came up here. But I didn't know what her answers would be. And one of the questions was, when was the time in our marriage you had the most difficult time submitting to a decision that I made? And then I stood here sweating it out. <laughs> and her answer was, never, honey. You're wonderful. Not really. I don't remember what her answer was, but, but I wasn't surprised by it. You know, it doesn't mean that we're perfectly in sync. In fact, just this morning she said, we've been married 39 years. Why would you think I would do that? And I said, I'm a guy, you know. We do weird stuff like that. It's not, there is no ideal marriage, never has been. Jesus wasn't married, and if he had been, he wouldn't have been married to a perfect person. So, but husbands, you have to love your wives. And I know a lot of guys really get into this, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Yeah, but before he says that, what does he say? No, no, before he says, wives, submit to your husband in verse 22, what does he say in verse 21? Verse 21. Submit to one another. And then he also says, Husbands, love your wives, not just feel good about your wife, feel that romantic attraction to your wife. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Look at what Jesus Christ did for the church. He died, not just died, endured horrific agony so that we could be the church. That's how husbands are supposed to love their wives. All right. Next one that we're really familiar with, kids. What can you do to make God happy? In the home and family. When kids obey their parents, look in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. We were talking about this in track on Thursday night. Honoring is more than just obeying. Honoring is showing respect for and being kind to. And even though my mother's dead, I still have a biblical obligation to honor my mother and to appreciate the good things she brought in my life. And honestly, some people have lousy parents, and it's really hard to respect and honor them. But it's still your job. God wants you to do that. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth or have a more full life while you're on the earth. Uh, Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in all things. Why? For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So it's pleasing to the Lord when kids obey their parents. And I know kids, you you probably get tired of hearing that in church. Uh, Quite often, I'll say to a group of kids, all right, kids, what's something God wants you to do? And they all say, obey your parents. Like, same old, same old. There's lots of other things, too. And we'll look at some more on another day. But, But listen, I want you to think about the way God talks about obedience, okay? Obedience is more than just doing what you're told. Jesus raised the bar on murder, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, if you hate someone, you've committed murder in your heart. Jesus raised the bar on adultery, right? He said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart already. And Jesus raises the bar on obedience. Listen to this. Uh, In Luke 17, verses 9 and 10, he's talking about a master, a one who's in authority over other people. And he says, does he, the master, thank the servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I I think not, he says. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty. And and so, kids, if your parents assign tasks and chores for you, you can't just do the minimum. Do more. Kathy got to see this little girl. There, there were three kids who were told to pick up toys, you know, and they were given an exact number. They had to at least do that. And one did exactly that and then quit. And one fussed and whined and didn't even want to do that. And then the third one just kept going and kept picking up, didn't she? Did she do like, yeah. (laughs) Finally, Kathy had to stop her from picking up. How many of you parents have to do that? But stop her from picking up so she could go play because she was doing way more than the other kids were. Listen, God wants you to do more than just obey the bare minimum. Don't just do the rules. Follow the spirit of it. Um, here's another verse, Matthew five forty one. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. So, Ben, if your mom says, clean your bedroom, and you clean your bedroom, you could go to your mom and say, Mom, I'm done with my bedroom. Can I clean another one? <laughs> See... <laughs> If you didn't hear that, Jerry's saying, he can do mine. (laughs) Quick thinking, Jerry. Okay, see, it's not just children do what you're told. It's all of us need to willfully participate in the process of doing things and serving and ministering and sacrificing so that we're obeying God in our home and family. Now let's look within the church. Okay? Hopefully you're still in Ephesians 5. When you show love to your brothers and sisters in Christ, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. He says, Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice for a sweet smelling aroma. Walk in love. So that when you come to church, you're not supposed to be heading toward the most comfortable seat. When we used to have pews, you know, pews, as, as pews get older, they get certain places that are more comfortable than others. And we rearrange the chairs. You can never sit in the same chair twice because we're rearranging and moving them around. And even if you sit in the same spot, it's probably not the same chair. But, but man, some people, that, you know, they get really grumpy. I saw a comic this week. And this guy comes up, you know, and there's a guy sitting like over where Tim is. And and this guy walks up to him and he says, We're happy to have you visiting in our church, but you're in my seat. (laughs) How spiritual is that, huh? And yet, if you've been around church for any length of time, you've probably seen something like that or worse. We're supposed to walk in love. Uh, John thirteen thirty four and five a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another by this all will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another what does the world think when they think of Christians, especially Christians like ours, where we're fundamental to the biblical truth and we hold on to that, we're not fundamentalists, that's a different matter altogether, but we hold to the fundamentals of the faith and we're diehard biblicists, we really try and follow the Bible. What does the world think about Christians like that? That we're weird, we're judgmental, we're mean, we're unloving. Why do they think that? Probably because of us. Because of people like us out there who get on a rant and they get up in front of people, God hates this! You know You know what God hates the most in his hate list? The one who sows discord. That's the one he hates the most. And we don't need... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, I'm gonna, I'll get on that at again a little bit later so don't forget we'll come back number 7 when god's word god is pleased when god's word is preached boldly and clearly and without apology that's what god wants to see boldly and clearly and without apology 1 corinthians 121 it pleased god through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe Second Timothy four two preach the Word, be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine or teaching. Uh, this is what god he 's pleased when his Word is being taught, so this morning uh, at nine thirty, we had a Bible class over there and, there and there and there and there and there and here, and in all of those rooms god's Word was being taught clearly and accurately, and God is pleased when that takes place. But God is also pleased when His Word is shared with kindness and love. With kindness and love. Look at this, Ephesians 4.15. says, we should speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word or communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for the necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. So, occasionally, Mr. Qualls has to discipline a younger Mr. Qualls or two. Occasionally, he has to do that. So, The way he does that, the manner in which he does that, is important to God. He's supposed to do it in a way that is for the benefit of the boys. That doesn't mean you can't make them upset. It doesn't mean you can't annoy your kids. But you have to do what's good for them. Sometimes kids don't know what's good for them. I mean, they honestly think Twinkies are better than... uh, You know, a chimichanga. Uh, How could they think that? I, I don't understand that. But kids don't know. So you have to do what's best for them in the long run. So the way you discipline them is not... You don't smack them in the head. And I think even when you spank kids, it's better not to use your hand. There are times when you should spank a child... And, and I think it's better not to use your hand. Use a piece of rebar. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding, okay? Just kidding. <laughs> Saw a couple of kids go, <laughs> <laughs> I know Jerry's thinking, do not tell my dad that, please. All right. So, so what Kathy and I, we had a little stick. We called it the stick. It was just a ruler. It used to have a metal piece on the edge of it. We pulled that out and we used that to swat our kids. But, but why would you think we would use that instead of just swatting them with our hand. No, it wasn't to not hurt our hand. What did you say? The association. We wanted, when we reached our hand to them, we wanted them to feel like we were ready to hug them. We didn't want to reach our hand out to hug them and have them go, (laughs) thinking we were going to smack them. That's what we did. I'm not saying that's from the Bible, thus saith the pastor. No, okay, When you discipline, you have to do it for the good of the kid. So it's never a good idea to discipline when you're angry. If you feel angry, separate them. Send them off by themselves. Put them apart. And then when you've calmed down a little, then go discipline them for their good and your good to honor the Lord. So... We cannot apologize for the truth. This is really important to understand. We cannot apologize for the truth, but we must share it in a way that is consistent with God's amazing love and His abundant grace. There are things God hates. There are things that are an abomination to God. And we have to say, God hates this, it's an abomination. We can't do what our culture does and what some churches do. It doesn't matter, God loves you. Does God love them? Absolutely. Does He want them to stay that way? Absolutely not. He wants them to be changed by His Word. So we have to preach the truth of God's Word boldly and clearly and without apology in love, administering grace to the hearer. It requires all of it, not just part of it. Hey, number nine, this is a little little thing. We won't spend a lot of time here. But when you're generous toward your church and toward your pastor and staff. I know churches that like starve a pastor. Um, There was a church that was interested in us coming before we came here and they had a parsonage and they would require us to live in the parsonage that was 900 square feet. And we had five kids and lots of books because we're all readers and we had seven bicycles because we all would exercise and, and... Beds. We only had six beds because she and I don't mind sharing, but the kids really didn't like to share beds. Uh, but, but we, we had, there's no way we could have fit there, but we had to fit there because that's the parsonage for their church. And I know a church in Phoenix where the pastor died of a heart attack and, and within days, the deacons of the church came to the pastor's wife and said, you have two weeks to get out of the parsonage. We have to get ready for the next pastor. So the Bible has something to say about how churches treat those who who serve. Hebrews thirteen seven and 16. Remember those who have the rule, whose rule over you and who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct, but do not forget to do good and to share for which such sacrifices God is well-pleased. He's well-pleased when you sacrificially help those who serve. When you sacrificially give to missions, when you sacrificially give to our church, God is well-pleased with that. 1 Timothy five seventeen and 18, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. What, what does that mean? Well, it actually means double pay. So what some churches do, they get the average income in their city, and then they double that, and that's their pastor's salary. That's not what we do, that's not necessarily the biblical, it's not right or wrong, but but you have to honor those who, what does it say, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. The laborer is worthy of his wages. So years ago, when I first came here, the church was barely paying enough for us to live, and then at one point they were able to increase and get us to a more livable, uh, situation. It was worse because we still had a house for sale in Texas for about a year, wasn't it? It was, that was a, a burden for us. But I remember, some of you remember Norm Shiley. He was the chairman of our deacons and he presented at the church business meeting that we have to, we're recommending a salary increase for pastor. He said we need to feed the ox. Don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. Okay, but listen, every one of us, me included, has a responsibility to support the ministries, missions, and staff of this church and to be generous toward God in the process. All right, number 10. And and you say, number 10 already? Man, this is going so fast. I know. It's amazing. It's It's a miracle. Number 10, show God's love and share his truth as you love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ in your neighborhood. Nobody lives in a neighborhood like this. All right, to be honest with you, I think Larry would like to do that for a couple of weeks. Kathy, not so much, but but, you know, we, we, we don't live there. I wouldn't mind vacationing there for a couple of days. Actually, I probably couldn't do that. My lungs. But anyway, it it looks intriguing, inviting for a short time, but not to live there. Listen to these verses that tell us how we're supposed to live in our community. Okay? Matthew 5.16. Read it with me. Let's pop it up here. Read it together. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So how do you do that? Well, you have a prayer meeting inside your house. (laughs) One of the neighborhoods we lived in, we met these people that lived diagonally across the street from us, and they were like thrilled that we were Christians. They were so excited. And they said, we need to pray for the neighbor, because those people are just not Christians. And so (laughs) Kathy and I, we we thought, oh, we're going to get together and their house would sometimes host a a prayer meeting to reach the community. And they would have people drive over there and fill up all over the street. You couldn't park in front of any house because they were there. And they had these prayer meetings for the community. And then that's all they did. And the lady in the house right across the street, Kathy befriended her and talked with her and, had the opportunity to see that lady trust Christ. She ended up not coming to our church. Uh, She went to a different church, but she got involved in serving the Lord. She actually started teaching Sunday school in her church over time. But that wouldn't have happened. And and the people that complained about those neighbors, we never saw them. They'd punch open their door and drive in the garage and close the door. And the only time you ever saw them is if they happened to be mowing the yard while you were there. It was was Texas, not Arizona. Nobody mows their front yard in Arizona. It's all rock, right? Uh, If you mow it, you're weird. Listen, God really wants you to love your neighbor as yourself. Pop that up, Jeff. Look at all these references. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18, Matthew 19.19, and 22.39, Mark 12.31, Romans 13.9. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, one of the rules that you have as you're studying the Word of God is when God repeats Himself, then you should pay attention. Right? God said it five times. I mean, five's enough for a basketball team, right? Five times God said that. He wants you to really get this. You have an obligation to love your neighbor as yourself. And we don't do that unless we're out there helping them. We have some neighbors who have no interest at all in the church, no interest at all in trusting and following the Lord Jesus Christ, but occasionally they would have a need that we would see and we could go and help them. And one time we were trying to do something and we couldn't get a big heavy thing up into the truck and so they came running over and helped us. And that's how we reach out to people. Okay, do not walk up to your neighbor who's an atheist and tell him, I want to give you a hug from Jesus. Okay, my neighbor was a gunnery sergeant in the Marine Corps and you try and give him a hug like that, you're going to be knocked out flat. But what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Do you see needs, and then you ignore them? Then you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. When you see needs in your own life, you take care of them. You get help. So, this is something that brings pleasure to God. He is well pleased when we do this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 talks about the Great Commission and how that Jesus said, All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples. How do we make disciples? We talk to people about the Lord. And it can be sometimes just a little bit um, the first night of Good News Club, or was it the second night that I had the issue with the non Julio there's a boy whose name I get wrong I, I but i- I called him Julio, and that's not his name, but I had an issue with him he he just we were trying to get things going and trying and and he was just standing there going "Ah really loud he wouldn't stop and I said, "Come on, and I took him over to the office, and while we're walking over to the office for them to call his parents to come and get him. Uh, he said, "I I didn't even want to be in there. I just don't believe any of that. And I said, well, you know what? It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. God is real. God exists. And God loves you. He loves you so much, Jesus Christ died for you. And so it's a short walk from where we were in the cafeteria over to the school office. But in between, I got to talk to him about the gospel. Did he get on his knees and trust Christ and thank me and hug my neck? No. But he did show up this Monday. And he was more cheerful and participating. Maybe we'll see him trust Christ. I don't know. But you see, that's not your job. Your job is to be a witness for Christ. It's God's job to bring conviction. In fact, Jesus said in John 6, no one could be saved unless the Father's drawing them. So if you try and talk somebody into saying a prayer for Christ, they're not necessarily responding to the Lord or the Holy Spirit. They're responding to you. So you give them the opportunity and you encourage them but you don't pressure them. And then 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but pleasing God who tests our hearts. We're not pleasing men, but we're pleasing God, the one who's testing our hearts. So you and I have the capacity to know and follow the path that brings God's approval and reward. It's going to challenge you. It's going to really stretch you. Um, It's going to be a burden sometimes. It, It may be difficult. It may be dangerous. But you can and you should follow Christ. And someday you'll be very glad you did. Can you imagine if you are in the process of habitually trying to please the Lord and then you die or the rapture takes place and you're standing before the Lord for your reward and he looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's your rewards. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be worth any sacrifice? Oh, yes, it would. So let's do it. Let's try and live in a way that pleases Him. Because what Paul said to the church in Ephesians, he said, you can find out what is acceptable to the Lord. And don't be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. You can do this because the Holy Spirit and God's Word will make it possible for you to live in a way that will please God and someday be a great blessing in your own life. Father, help us to show your love and and be kind to other people. Help us to never forget our responsibility to you and to others, that you want us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you want us to love other people as ourselves, to really care. So, Father, I pray that we would live in a way that would please you, from the thoughts in our heads to the actions on the outside. May you be honored. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.